0: Welcome, everybody, to the PFF College Football Podcast. Big episode coming your way uh, because uh, me and Anthony Trash talked about the top returning tight ends in the league. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, we, we do have that. You can go and find that, and it's actually a really good discussion. Um, you know, me and Trash talked about... Uh, the kind of interesting things that we found while writing the college football preview magazine that is coming out June 28th that I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to to read and enjoy. And then we talked about the, the returning tight ends. But first, before that, me and Deontay Lee, he was with me right now, got a chance to talk to an NFL head coach, uh, Brandon Staley of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And I think it went uh, I think it went very well.
1: I think so too. I'm sure that the people who have enjoyed the guests that we've brought on and some of the conversations that have been had, we cover basically all of that with somebody who would know that 20 times better than anybody that we've had on or the two of us can say for ourselves. So it was definitely a good conversation and we got some great answers out of Coach Daly.
0: Uh, Life life comes full circle because the Herbert guy uh, met the Herbert guy today. Right. Literally. Uh, yeah, so we're trying to repair our image with the, with the Los Angeles Chargers, And I think we did a good
1: job yeah. uh, at yeah. the end of the, at the end of his interview, he said that they're great fan They're great fans of us over with the Chargers. Maybe that's true in the coaching office. I don't know about the social media team. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're definitely trying to rebuild some relationships right now.
0: Uh, yeah. So, uh, like just excited to, um, to, uh, let you guys into that and we'll get into it right now. Joining us now on the PFF College Football Podcast is head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Mr. Brandon Staley. Uh, coach, how are you doing? Seth,
2: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be with you guys.
0: Uh, all right, let, let's let's get right into it. Um, I, I read that you played quarterback at the University of Dayton, so you're on the offensive side of the ball. And then we know you as a you know. A, a, Uh, now a former defensive coordinator and now that you're a head coach, but so I asked this to all of our, all the quarterbacks that I have on this podcast and and we'll get it out of the way quickly. If you're, you're stranded on a desert Island, you have one concept that you can bring with you, right? You're playing quarterback. It could be as specific or, or, you know, macro or micro as you want, but like, what is the concept that you know you can throw for a completion for a first down, you know, nine times out of 10. I'm
2: going to be an empty for sure. Okay, I'm gonna be an empty for sure, and um, I'll probably have um, what we call, you know, shock Lucy, which is kind of a mash slot blade with a branch, and then some type of looky, you know, to the to the weak side. Um, so I would probably try to motion to it to, to get some identification, but um, I'd I'd also, you know, tempo into empty so that I could, you know, force the defense's hand. So uh, that's that's definitely where I where my sweet spot would be. I think it's keep my arm strength too. So get it
1: out quick. I hear that touchdown the to check now. I like the idea there.
0: Um, so if anyone was wondering why Coach Staley uh, hired a uh, a few guys from the New Orleans Saints coaching staff, there's your answer uh, right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's get into your um, your your kind of biography, your time through uh, football. You are pr- pretty recently a a, you know, defensive coordinator at, at, um, I believe division two school. How do you, how does that division three? three, Uh, so how does that in that's what 2016, I believe. And then right away, you're the outside linebackers coach for, um, the Chicago bears in the NFL. My question is how do you gain the respect of professional players when you're coming from, from a D three school? Uh, and I would imagine it had to happen very quickly. Yes, yeah, I
2: think that's a great question. Uh, I think um, two, two components that go into it, earning a player's respect is them knowing that you're a good man, I think number one. Um, and, and that starts by um, learning about each other, listening to one another, kind of diving into to each other to kind of um, know where you've come from and where you're trying to go. And then I think the second thing is, is your knowledge. Um, not only the knowledge of your specific defense, but really knowledge of their game, you know, knowing them as a player, knowing what they do well, uh, knowing where um, they can improve a little bit, how they can apply uh, some of their tools uh, to the defense specifically. And then, you know, having a really good inventory of the offenses that you're going to be defending and the players that you're going to have to be, you know, going against. So I felt like going into that opportunity, uh, just being, you know, just being myself, being how I've always been, but just showing that I'm a well-rounded coach, uh, both as a person um, and as a, you know, as a coach, I I felt like that those were two really critical components uh, in earning those guys' trust. Cause as you said, uh, it's, it's an adjustment, you know, and, um, but I was fortunate. We had great guys, you know, I was supported by an awesome coaching staff, Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, Jay Rogers, uh, that group of guys. Uh, And then we had a lot of good players there that really took me in uh, and accepted me and, um, just really fortunate to you know to, to work for those guys.
1: Right, actually, and having this conversation about linebackers is actually kind of segues into something that I'm really interested to know. So, at the professional level, when you guys are looking at backers what are how much of your evaluation is going to be projection based on maybe movement skills versus what you're going to be asking for a guy to do on a defense how much you guys looking at like production are there certain baselines or red flags or things like that that um, come up as you guys are evaluating backers making the transition from the college game to the pro game specifically
2: for the edge players i think you know uh, number one we try to look at the analytics the data all right in terms of height weight speed um you know maybe it's that you know that initial ten time um you know you i think you're you know vertical jump broad jump all those all those measurables that i think that um tell you a story i mean you have 20 years of data that you can that you can trace that you can track and now you can go even further now with the gps that these guys are um you know exposed to in college with all the catapult zebra data so think you kind of start there you can really get a, a sense of them like at all star games as well um so you take a look at that data i think Cause just it, that's at your disposal first. And then I think when you dive into the film um, you just have to have a clear vision for what you're looking for from a critical factor standpoint, like on the edge, the first thing that we're looking for is can you rush the passer? Um, and so, you know, um, now there's a lot of different styles of rushing the passer. Some guys are speed rushers, some guys are power rushers, some guys are kind of a combination of the two. So, um, you know, just looking for pass rush production uh, and then looking at their physicality in the run game, it's a big transition going to the NFL because they're playing against a lot you know, bigger, stronger, faster men. Um, so that physicality at the point of attack, um, you know, can they anchor uh, and really be a force on the run front? You know, for us, like those guys are playmakers, you know, those guys, you know, in one-on-one situations, those guys are, you know, asked to, you know, to dominate that matchup. And then the, the next thing is, do they just have that, that baseline of AA, be able to change direction and, you know, the, the minimal type of coverage roles that we ask them to do. Do they have that COD? Do they have that AA to change direction? Uh, and then you factor in guys, their football IQ, their makeup, right? Um, does the game make sense to them? I think that that is something that um, once you have the, the, the pure data and then some of that, the actual physical evidence of the film, uh, then you have to dive into the player and how well they process because something that I'm a big fan of talking about is like your game speed is like your forty plus how well you process, you know, um, and so, you know, at every position there's a processor involved, you know, and I've been around a lot of great rushers, Khalil Vaughn, um, you know, Bradley Chubb, Leonard Floyd. Uh, and, and I think that all of those guys have a big time processor uh, on top of being physically gifted. Um, so um, your processor and, and, and how well you see things on the field, how well that allows you to react and, and play the game um, the way we want it to be played.
0: I want to start talking about what you're doing defensively, like schematically. And and I want to start with something that Deontay actually said, I believe, last week or, or I think two weeks ago on the podcast, talking about how when you play in two high coverages, you obviously have that numbers advantage in the secondary against passing teams. And therefore, you need to figure out the techniques needed to stop the run if you're gonna be in a light box and then vice versa if you spin down to one high. So for you, obviously, you know, and coming from, you know, coaching under Vic Fangio, you you know, if you look at last year, the Rams defense and the Broncos defense, by far, by far, by far, by far, the most snaps where a defense started in too high and then, you know, either stayed in too high or rotated down to, to a one high coverage. So that is something that you believe in clearly, tremendously, staying in too high as much as you can. So what are the ways that you're able to kind of still stop the run? What are the techniques that you guys try and use in order to steal, basically steal gaps uh, up front?
2: Yes, that is a good question. I think that uh, you have to be tied in from the front to the back, number one, to play the way we play. Um, what we really believe in the run game is we don't want runs that hit us directly um, because if they hit you directly, then that means that your second and third level players are going to have to be there quickly. Uh, and so what you really want is these runs to slow down so you buy more time for the cavalry to get there. Uh, so up front, we ask our guys to be really – aggressive on blocks you know really physical on blocks Uh, we try to play a gap and a half we're still coming off the rock Uh, we're definitely not a two gap system at all because that would apply you know imply that we're reading you know and reacting we're still coming off the rock but um, we're going to try and play gap and a half um, with all of our guys up front so that we can create more overlap in the first level okay Um, and then by playing that way, by playing your edges that way, by playing your inside players that way, um, what it allows your second and third level players to do is, um, you know, to get there, you know, buy time for them to get there. And then the way we fit the run, um, we still include, you know, a defender as in eighth defender. He's just coming from depth, whether that is a safety, whether that's a slot defender. Um, So we still associate that person is a fitter. um, It's just, where is he coming from? And we try to change that up, um, change the math that way, change the rotations, um, whether we're playing split safety or single safety, um, so that we can kind of create an advantage of how they identify block and support.
1: I I actually, I love that answer. And it's something that I I actually um, kind of covered a little bit of what you guys were doing um, with the Rams before you took over with the Chargers. And I think the most fascinating thing I found was for lack of a better term, or for the people who are listening, basically using safeties, outside linebackers, your nickel player, just to recreate the classic three, four, four, three fronts in terms of run fits. Um, So when you're going through kind of like the week of preparing, or even when you're installing the defense, are there certain body types that you're after? Um, I've mentioned, like Seth said, that there are certain things that you can take care of a personnel. Like, you know, having an Aaron Donald obviously does not hurt. Um, and then there are certain things that you have to make up for with your technique within your scheme to make all the pieces tie together. So when you're talking to like your safeties or your nickel about, hey, we're in, you know, three three five personnel and we're playing like a tight or a bare front. But my expectation is that if flow is coming your way, you're fitting this like you're a Sam backer. You're fitting this like we're playing six buzz or whatever the case may be. Um, what kind of process is that like mentally for the players and for coaches trying to get that across? And at the NFL level, if it's a new information that you're presenting to them, how long typically does it take for guys to kind of buy into it and understand exactly what you're asking them to do?
2: And Deontay, those are all great points. And I think that just uh, really good observations, Uh, but I think anytime you're installing something to a player, uh, you have to go through a teaching progression. And that's something that the way we install, the way we organize our, our system, um, we take a lot of pride in that so that you're always building on something conceptually like, Hey, how we fit the run. Hey, are we in eight man spacing? Are we in, you know, seven man spacing? Um, are we in a, you know, what type of front are we in? Are we in some type of three down front? Are we in a four down front? Um, you know, We we try to do that uh, at a high level. And then. I think when you're talking about the run game, you always have to start with who has the force, you know, in the run fit, um, you start with the force. And then you talk about, all right, then the fitters behind the ball. And so we look at it as X's behind the ball because those X's can change, OK, you know, who those people are. And that's that's what kind of allows us to play as many groupings as we play is that, hey, we have a run fit concept. But those X's could be a lot of different people, depending on what the personnel grouping is. But they understand from a concept standpoint that, hey, I'm going to be one of those guys. Um, And so that's what allows us to play the variety of coverages that we play, but also play the run at a high level because we've defined it well for them. Um, And then we've gotten them the reps at it. You know, we don't just uh, dabble in a couple of things. We make sure that we get them the looks um, so that they are, are very
0: certain about where to be. So uh, I think last offseason I did a pretty relatively big study on quarters coverage and like because I felt like eventually this was going to be, you know, we're, we're coming out of a an NFL that was a one high, you know, and certainly show it pre-snap and play it post-snap, right? That's the world that the NFL was in for a long time. And, you know, eventually that's just not it's not that it's a bad defense, but eventually that just goes away. And, you know, you felt like quarters – type of coverages were going to be a thing of the future. And so when I, when I looked this stuff up and I, and I watched especially on early downs, you know third down is a whole different ball game, but especially you know first and 10 and you know second and, and medium and stuff like that, one of the things I found was like it felt like in the NFL up to up to, let's say last year, that you had your kind of very classic cover 4 defenses where you had your nickel or your sam was inside the slot receiver and everyone was kind of pushing out into a zone drop and and certainly it was done at a high level you know a, a higher level than than I've coached it but uh, still that that's what it felt like um and then I look at you on early downs last year and I see nickels or sams outside of the number 2 receiver kind of bracketing him with the safety and and, and I'm curious, um, you know, why? Like what is, you know, what are offenses? So A, why, why do that specifically? And then I think what are offenses telling you that, hey, maybe it's the league is more, needs to be more quarters. And I think maybe, you know, in three, four looks like you talked about before, like what, what are offenses telling you that maybe we should move away from that, that one high system?
2: I think it's single safety. Um, You just, you get more people on islands, more people on islands. And and so the more people that um, are on islands, whether you're playing single safety man or 3D, some version of it, fire zone, um, you know, there's just more, you know, matchups that are available for an offense. Uh, And so when there are those islands, then there's more, um, there's a higher percentage than an explosive play could happen um, where you're in split safety. Um, you create more overlap Uh, and now you know certainly when you're in three deep you you try to get that done or you know man-to-man you're trying to you know sort of do that but um, it's a lot easier to accomplish you can get more numbers on those five eligibles uh, when you're playing split safety you get more overlap in the pass game and in the run game Uh, and in terms of the RPO game uh, less people are in conflict for me um, when you play split safety. Um, You know, and then you can create more vision uh, on the formation, which today I think is really important because of all the motion. There's so much jet motion, orbit motion, solar motion, bolt motion. Um, There's all these fast motions. So the closer you are to the formation, the more things can sneak up on you quickly. Like things are happening where if you're coming from deeper, uh, you have um, a better vantage point of how to adjust, you know, um, within that a particular down. So I think that um you know the game has changed so much that way from a from a formational standpoint and a motion standpoint, you're just seeing a lot more timely motions, late snap points. Um and and that's forcing these adjustments late in the down and that's just a lot harder to accomplish uh, in single safety for me. Um now you could just say hey we're playing man to man um and I got a guy for a guy but that's a quick way to lose leverage on the formation too. Um, you know, when you're playing man, now you have to run through traffic. Um, now your edges aren't se- as secure um, because you're following a man somewhere. And, and then that's where the explosive runs happen um, or the catch and runs um, that turn into explosions. So I think that that's really what you're you're seeing um, is just an adjustment defensively to what is happening offensively. And, um, and I think that uh, all that you know, all those factors that I mentioned uh, sort of factor into
1: that. Yeah, I will say that, you know, this is kind of me as high school coach speaking, um, you know, and this is a college football podcast. And one of the things when I really finally, when I really started getting to studying defense at the college level, and this ties into the question as well, I think there's a lot of power in placing a nickel outside leverage, even if you're not doing 100 percent of the time. If you're a diverse multiple defense like yours is, um, you know, for our college football fans, you think about your Clemson's, your Georgias, your Alabamas, teams that can live in both a middle of field close and middle of field open world. Um, and the one thing that I like about it is that obviously it disguises up well, ties up well. And going back to our earlier conversation about the run fit. If you are able to live with a nickel outside leverage type of world, because you're playing both middle of field, close and middle field open to your point about getting guys to understand their picture as far as how we're fitting the run, all of those things marry up well together. Um, so for you, you know, as you construct this defense, you know, obviously borrowing maybe some from Fangio, some from the college level, um, Is there anything that maybe trips you up in terms of like the body types we're getting in the league is different than what we get at the college level or their understanding of certain um, fits, certain coverages, maybe we need to tweak or adjust this or that. Um, What is that process like, you know, when you're borrowing either from the pros or the college level and trying to implement it into what you're doing in your own philosophy?
2: Number one, Deontay,
1: you know, uh, high school coach,
2: college coach, pro coach. I mean, we're all coaching. We all have really uh, tough problems to solve every week. Okay. I don't care what level of ball you're at. Uh, coaching defense is, is a challenging thing. Uh, and I tell people all the time, when I was at John Carroll in 2016, uh, you should have seen our national semifinal versus Wisconsin Oshkosh. That's like defending the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you're talking 22 personnel, pistol, 13, 11, uh, motion all over the place. Um, I mean, of, of all the runs that you're seeing with Lamar Jackson, you know, all, all those timely motions with the sips coming back, arcs, I mean, you're, you know, that, that was defending those guys I and mean, is one of the toughest preps that I've ever had. One of the great ball games that I've been a part of, you go defend Mount Union, um, you know, those guys, you defend Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, those are those are three of the toughest games I've ever had to prepare for as a coach. And I've been in the NFL for five years. And I'm, you know, so um, I I think for anybody watching this podcast or listening to it, um, you know, there's so much application from high school to, to the pro game. Um, A lot of it for me, when you talk about specifically leverage from the slot defender is that if you believe in the premise that don't let the ball get to the grass, you know, don't let the ball beat you to the field. Um, then that's a motive to put a guy outside the slot. Um, certainly the hashes are different in high school and college. They're wider, um, but I still think the principle applies. Even in the NFL, it's still a field oriented, you know, formations setup. If, if that makes sense, like you're still going to have normal field sort of formations. If you take a look at pure, like where the passing strength is. So um, I just think that if you start with the premise, like space is the enemy of defense, well, a big way to cap, you know, formation is to get your slot defender outside of two. Um, Cause then that kind of cuts the field um, for the rest of the guys. So um, I think that that's just a good place to start. Um, now, sometimes, you know, you're getting these, you know, like the Baylors and like all these places that are over splitting the trips and they're getting like three outside the alley. Um, and then you got to go into like, you know, all that, you know, your divider rules and stuff like that. But I mean, at the same time, they're funneling themselves too. And then what you got to be able to, you know, be able to teach no matter what level of football you're in is who's in the fit and who isn't, you know, who's associated for the RPO, who's associated for the run, you know, and that, that's not changing. I mean, that's like defending Navy, it's dive quarterback pitch, right. And that's how you have to install every defense that you play is who's, who's responsible for those things. And so um, whether you're defending a triple option team, Deontay in in San Diego, um, or you're defending, um, the Baltimore Ravens, it's still going to come down to those at that essence of defense. And, um, you know, we all, we all are defending the same thing that way.
0: All right. Before we get you out of here, uh, I just wanted to know, so you, you've been, uh, you know, the coach, the head coach of the chargers now for, for a few months, you've now seen your players, you know, on the field, you've had your OTAs, you have your mini camps and stuff like that. Um, you know, when you talk about your two kind of biggest stars on, on defense, that would be Derwin Dur- James and, and Joey Bosa. What, what have you seen now that you've seen them in person, you've stood next to them that you're like, okay, these guys are like, it's changed your, your almost perspective on those guys. Now that you've seen them in practice. Those guys
2: definitely changed the math and how you play. <laughs> um, you gotta, you know, and, and, and wherever you're at, you know, like when you're at John Carroll, um, you got guys like, you know, Frankie Pines and, and Ray Brown up front. Those guys change the math for you. You guys got, you know, then you got you know Javon Dawson at star. Um, he changes the math and how you play We have this guy named Mason McKenrick, who's kind of like this Fred Warner, you know, Bobby Wagner, running, hitting, blitzing, versatile guy. You know, like you, you wherever you go, you're going to have premium players where you got to feature those guys and take advantage of who they are and what they do. So, um, with Joey, you know, he's one of these edge guys that, you know, I've been fortunate to be with like, you know, Khalil, Vaughn, Bradley, you know, Leonard, those guys, and, and, and Joey Bosa is as good as it gets. He's in that same category of one of the, you know, I mean, you could rank them, stack them how you you know, he's one of those top, you know, players at that position. And I think what he allows you to do is um, really, you know, try to you know manipulate the front structures to isolate him, um, whether that's in the run game or the pass game. Uh, but he's going to be on the edge of the, our defense in a playmaking role. Uh, we're trying to move him around a little bit more than what he's probably done in the past to kind of feature him. Um, but he's, he's definitely one of those premier rushers um, that people have to be aware of, you know, and I was certainly with one last year with Aaron, you know, inside, which was a little bit different, you know, Joey plays on the edge. Um, but, and then with, with Derwin, Derwin's um, sort of you um, you know, and, you know, and I had his best friend last year, Ramsey. You know, Derwin is, is, is that like LeBron James of, of the NFL where he can be everywhere. You know, LeBron can guard all five positions. He can play all five positions on offense. Um, and depending on the matchup, you can get him where you need to, whether it's closer to the line of scrimmage, um, you know, in the slot, deep at safety. Uh, he can match up like playing man-to-man uh, on tight ends, backs, or receivers. Uh, so him being able to be in the middle of your defense kind of in many roles, uh, we feel like really gives us an advantage because of all the things that he can do in his game, which is support the run, cover the ball, you know, cover and judge the ball in the deep part of the field, and then be able to cover man to man in the slot. So and he's an outstanding blitzer. So, um, we'll try to feature those guys, um, you know, within our defense. Uh, and, you know, it's been fun, like you said, Seth being in person with them. And then, you know, collaborating, I think, you know, Deontay, you know, at the high school level, you know, just being able to really connect with your guys and like what they're comfortable with. And, and you know, that's such an ongoing process um, and you really have to work through things in order to get into that comfort zone. And so it's been this, these last four weeks being in person with them. It's been a lot of fun getting to know them and uh, getting them to know us. And then now we still have training camp um, that we're awfully excited about. Uh, and then we'll put that final product on the field, you know, and then, you know, how it is guys, when you get to the beginning of the season, there's still so much that can change, you know, who we were last year in game one against Dallas was a far different team than that last game against green Bay. There's so much that you can do to improve your team as, as you keep going. So, um, but, but guys like that, that you mentioned, Deontay, you're always trying to feature those guys the best way, um, you can. And, uh, that that's a, that's an always an ongoing process.
0: All right, coach. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I usually ask people at the end of the podcast to plug their work. I think people know where to find you. Uh, <laughs> CBS, Fox and ESPN. So uh, um, good luck this season. Uh, hope hope, uh, great things for you and appreciate you doing the podcast. What I would say is,
2: uh, you know, for anybody, you know, like five years ago, I was, I was coaching division three and Uh, this podcast you guys just do such an important work and spreading the growth of the game and that's what makes the game amazing is is that there's so many um, ideas that come from all over the place you know whether it's high school college the NFL uh, and making the game uh, accessible for people all over the world to learn about it you know I think that that's something that I've always been in love with and I certainly wouldn't be where I'm at if I hadn't been able to learn from a lot of really good people so you guys do great work and uh, really excited to be with you guys
0: DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. Uh, That's probably the only way I would ever (laughs) win a bet. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right, for every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over-under will drop by one point. Uh, DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1500 people that bet the over in the feature game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the over hitting. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code PFF for a limited time only at DraftKings. Sportsbook must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Max $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends May 23rd, 2021. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, Life Insurance, Retirement, and Investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. I want you guys to remember that if you are listening to this uh, PFF podcast, we have other great podcasts on our PFF podcast network, which covers, of course, the NFL, fantasy football, and this show, College. So uh, you can recap the NFL draft with PFF Mike and PFF Austin on two-for-one drafts um, probably one of the best podcasts out there in my opinion you can check out ian hardett's fantasy football podcast and get a le- leg up on your league i'm gonna need it next year because i finished very poorly uh, last season in fantasy football and get all your 2021 betting content with the pff and another great great podcast so um a lot of podcasts on the network make sure you tune in to all of them i now welcome in welcome back Anthony Tresh to talk about two things. We're going to go over the top returning tight ends in college football. And we are also going to talk about the kind of biggest takeaways. or the biggest interesting storylines, I guess that we found while putting together the college football preview magazine, which is due out June 28th, Mr. Anthony Tresh, what's going on? Not
3: much, man. It's just been absolutely grinding these last few days. It's, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. My Google Docs right now, the amount of words that we've both written for this thing is it's absurd. I think it's how many pages it's going to be. I think last I heard was over 600 we're at. Um, uh,
0: how many per team? We're at nine per team in the Power Five
3: yeah nine per team or eight or nine per team and then a few for the a uh, couple each for the group of five um, but the amount of data that's yeah, unmask, that's what i'm gonna say i i've had dreams i i'm not even kidding you i've had dreams of players like writing up players repeatedly i found myself like walking to the store to the gym and i'm like writing up players in my head Like ahead of time this, this has been my life but man i love it i can't wait to you know share everything that we've been working on with the world
0: yeah the data is uh it's tremendous like like i'm biased obviously but you can't get this information anywhere else really at this point with college football i mean no one else is doing has this type of stuff that we have access to so we've kind of tried to synthesize it and give you the important data points and then and then you know watch it ourselves and then Kind of, you know, synthesize it in our own words, in a sense. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're we're both really excited to share with you guys. Uh, I guess uh, in uh, well, we're recording this on the sixteenth, so in twelve days. All right. Uh, so let's get into it. We want to talk about kind of the interesting stuff that we found while working on the guide, and I will let you have the floor first.
3: All right. Um, I, I will say my biggest takeaway and this is highlighted as this team's biggest strength in the preview guide um in this with the Georgia Bulldogs i'm pretty sure that they have the most physically gifted team in college history i mean it, we can't measure this but you know just from a subjective sense i've never seen a team that has just been so littered with physically gifted players um i mean with it, with adding on you know Darian Kendrick and Eric Gilbert i mean Eric Gilbert who we'll talk about more in a little bit you know i He's not Kyle Pitts yet, but he is like kind of like a baby Kyle Pitts or what he can do from a you know physical perspective. You know, they have the other tight end there, too. Um, and, and you have Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson on the edge, two explosive, yeah. really gifted athletes. Keely Ringo, who's probably going to start on the outside opposite Darian Kendrick. This guy's a true freshman, five star top ten recruit, 40 over 40 inch vertical four 340 guy. They have a they have a they have a track star on the Georgia track team at wide receiver, too who only ran like seven routes, but somehow managed to bust off like two insanely large catches last year um, with wide open separation. Uh, I mean, across the board, you know, at at every single position group, this team is just absolutely littered with physically gifted players. I was researching all of their like measurements in high school and their times and their athletic backgrounds. I found myself like an hour. I got stuck in a rabbit hole. But I mean, I mean, there was just so much potential there. You know, whether or not they could put that potential into action, we'll see. Um, But, you know, it, They're just scratching the surface, man. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, we we say it almost every year, but I think the thing with Georgia is like, yes, don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. I love making fun of Georgia. Absolutely love it. But, you know, when you look at them, obviously they're playing in the same conference as Alabama, and then they're playing in the same conference as 2019 LSU. You know what I mean? So it's like, hey, well, uh, those are like elite 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 caliber teams and they've just been i mean i know this a cur- it's a cursed program but they've kind of been just unlucky um they probably should have won the national championship within the last 3 4 years and they they could have been back to two national championships um you know back to back you know you lose to alabama in the SEC championship game so it's like you know the big comeback there, so like they're just a cursed franchise. But I do think you would probably believe that they will eventually get over the hump. Uh, But I hope not because I like to make jokes about them. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh Florida State and talk about their offensive line because all we do is talk about Florida State's offensive line. But I wanted to put it into context here because I think I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I we know it's bad. We know it's been bad for a long time. So we have our pass block efficiency metric, which is a little different than like the cumulative pass block grades, you know, that we give out individual players and then put it together for the team. So this is our like efficiency metric for pass blocking. And so in 2016, this is the penultimate Jimbo year. uh, They were 88th in that metric in the country and they won 10 games and they won the orange bowl. So like, and that's not good like it, it, clearly 88th is not good in a 130 team uh, you know league. but since then, they have finished 107th, 127th, 116th and last year 109th in the country in pass block efficiency like there's bad. And then there's there's whatever they've been doing. And the, the crazy thing is, you know, last year a little bit, and but definitely in the year where Kendall Bryles was the offensive coordinator, I guess that was 2019. I mean, they try to protect with people. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're not, like, running some, like, wide-open spread where, like, they only got the five offensive linemen protecting and it's tough because maybe they don't have the – the, you know, the bodies that the individual talent to hold up, but they're like trying to protect with a bunch of people and they just still can't, they still can't get anything done. So I, I thought, that yeah.
3: That's why they've been, that's why they threw the bag at Kane Madden. They they brought out that, that fan. I don't even know what it was, that vehicle, the Batmobile or whatever. <laughs> and then Brian <laughs> Kelly was out there taking shots at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have another one. This one's a little bit more positive. Positive vibes only. Um, <laughs> we're going to the Big Ten in a team that needs some positives because they've been bad for a while. Rutgers, they they low key have a really really good cornerback unit, and I'm not saying like a really good cornerback unit for Rutgers. Like, oh, they may be average this year nationally. No, like this is a legit talented group. I mean, Avery Young leads the group. Um, he struggled back in like 2018, 2019, but he played. Mixed it up in the slot and outside this past season was ended up finishing um, seventh in coverage grade among all Big Ten cornerbacks. He's a stout run defender, very physical brand of football. Um, great movement skills too. I mean, then they added to uh, a transfer from UNC, who's kind of had an unfortunate career. Uh, Patrice Rene, uh, one of the more undervalued transfers in the market. He's six foot three, two hundred five pounds. From uh, what you know, he had it from where? North Carolina. North Carolina. Uh, he's
0: from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada.
3: Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Seth. I'm sorry, Seth. I, I, I bet you could name every single player in college football from Canada.
0: I well, because there's only like ten of them, so yeah, probably. Exactly. That
3: was a that was a little bit of a shot there. Anyway, um, the guy caught uh, tore his ACL back in 2019, but in 2018, I mean, he was, I mean, he was locking down the side of the field, and he kind of did showcase that. Um, you know, and, and what we saw from him since the injury. So I think that that group right there too. Trey Avery did mention that he also dabbled in the slot and outside too. Um, you know, been very good in coverage over the last couple of seasons. So that's one of my big takeaways there. I think their cornerback unit is exceptional. And two, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do another one here. Vanderbilt's receiving unit. If mm. Ken Seals can get his get his act together this season and make better decisions with the football i'm not gonna say they're gonna win some games but i'm just I gonna think say you were that. about
0: to but you paused yourself i
3: did because i was like ah, they're not they're not gonna they're not gonna be anything special they're not gonna be like oh my god bandy's a top 25 team no um but they they could be a lot better than a lot of people think and from a betting perspective you look at their over under win total kind of like that over just because of that high upside with the receiving unit there um and, and he did show some positive signs a little bit i mean considering he was a true freshman so those are the two units I'm keeping an eye on. Those teams, you know, have not been good as of late, but hopefully the new regimes are turning those those two programs around. And those two position groups really stood out to me while I was researching for this thing.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm sticking with receivers, and I'm going to say the Miami receiving units. They, So I was looking up, you know, for all these teams that are running the the, you know, what I call like the super spreader offense. So like these receivers who are lined up on the sideline, and they're just running vertical routes, just vertical routes. So like go balls, um, and uh, back shoulder go balls. Obviously, it's kind of the same route. And end zone fades. So I put those three routes in the in the system. I put it in the system, and it came out that who had the worst cumulative receiving grade in the country last year on those throws, University of Miami receivers. Now there's there's some change there. But at the same time, it's like even if even if even if the exact same receivers came back, you would expect them to be better on those throws and they're going to be running those plays a lot. I mean, that's that's a big part of the offense there. So that gives me hope for Miami going forward and we know the quarterbacks there second year in the system uh obviously that injury doesn't help but second year in the system that they'll just get better at that stuff like that's just it's like they won't be last in the country in receiving grade on, on vertical sideline routes and on those those throws those make touchdowns like the vertical sideline routes <laughs> score you points so um you know uh hopeful for my miami next year
3: and I mean their offensive line too. I mean it's it that's a that's a unit right there. That that is a good unit. I think people are kind of underestimating it. Devon Donaldson, he's healthy. Got a great interior offensive lineman from UNLD too from the transfer portal. Um, so I'm definitely bullish on them. Um, this one, this one I'm excited about. I was geeking out over this guy uh, a few days ago when I was watching this group of five team. And I want to go out on a limb and say. I, I could probably count on one hand how many people that are listening know who this guy actually is. And I'm going to Florida, Florida International, um, tight end, Rivaldo Fairweather. I think this guy's the real deal. Um, he was a true freshman last season, three-star recruit, very little FBS Division I interest. Um, he, ju- he just started playing football when he's a junior in high school. So he's, he's raw to the game. He is a raw player. Um, but, you know, he kind of saw some action there towards the end. Ran over 10 routes in his last two games. Had a 90.8 receiving grade for the year, three point four four yards per route run. And he showed the size, the strength, the all-around athleticism. And he did not look out of place as a route runner. He looked like he was a well-polished veteran out there as opposed to a three-star true freshman that just started playing the game a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, with that, I, you know, I'm kind of excited about what he can do down the road. He's my one of my sleeper tight ends. Um, I hope he kind of proves me right here because I'm kind of putting all my hands in that small sample. Um, but yeah, Rivaldo Fairweather, remember the name, Florida international. Um, because I assume that a lot of people listening have known the idea who the hell this guy is. Uh,
0: the person you're talking to has no idea who the hell this guy is. So, <laughs> uh, okay. I have two, I have two more on the, on the coaching side. This isn't necessarily like PFF data, but some stuff I saw thought was interesting. Kansas state, so, I think there's an interesting discussion to be made about Chris Kleeman, Kleiman and what he's doing there and what Bill Snyder has built there. So, before Bill Snyder became head coach, and now I'm forgetting, I want to say like 89 or, or 88, maybe 90, they don't want two games in three years. I mean, I know a lot of people know this about Kansas State. They want two games in three years. And then within five years of Bill Snyder becoming head coach, they have 10 top 25 finishes in the in the next 11 years so like that's crazy and they they're not a big like a, you know you go down and I went back and I went on 247 sports and I looked at you know where they are in, in the recruiting rankings in the Big 12 like dude Kansas recruits better than them i mean I, when we're, we're scraping the bottle with the barrel here there's there's the barrel here there's not a lot of differences but still they rank behind their 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 brothers in Kansas <laughs> A lot of years and they're still able to produce um really good teams and i think that there's something in the water there um uh in manhattan that uh yeah i think that's just a great great um program that they that bill steiner built there obviously had those dip years under ron prince and then they, they're back to being kansas state football under under Kleeman. so I'm, I'm excited to see how they're going uh, we, we both think they're going to be an interesting team this year i think
3: yeah and you know like skyler thompson i don't think he has like an nfl future i don't think he will work out well in other systems but i just think he's in the perfect environment and ecosystem for him i mean you know we've talked about it a lot last season when he went down with an injury and they had to put will howard out there and you saw the drop off from production i mean those play action passes man Skyler Thompson knew what he was doing. 91.5 passing grade on those plays. It wasn't even at the 50th percentile when he had to face, you know, one of those true drop back pass opportunities. Um, so I think with Skyler Thompson back, even with the deficiency at at wide receiver, because it's bad. The wide receiver room is not good there. Um, I still think they have a chance to be, you know, an efficient passing offense. And I think that's like the big, you know, discord with Kansas State football. Because I know from like a lot of uh, big 12 guys that I follow, they are all over the place on Kansas State. You know, some people think they might be in that top, you know, top half of the conference. Some of them think they're, you know, third to last team or whatever it is. I mean, they're all over the place on them, and understandably so. But you know, I, it's it's a just a very interesting, you know, program they have going on there.
0: Okay, and then I'll finish in the ACC with Duke. So I was just thinking about, you know, maybe this is kind of the end of the David Cutcliffe era, um, and it, you know, they, they weren't good last year. Uh, I believe the year before too, they weren't good. The year they started with Alabama in in uh, in one of those kickoff classic games had some good years with Daniel Jones there. Um, so maybe maybe it's the end, but that he's done a really really good job putting that program back on on solid ground. But the interesting thing, when I was looking up is between 1990 and 2007, so 17 years, Duke had. One winning season and four winless seasons. Like that is not. That's like entirely a new level of bad. Uh, so, so what? Oh man, now I don't, I don't remember who took it over. There's a guy who came in after before Ted Roof, I believe, who was who had kind of put it back on to, like I said, solid ground. And then Ted roof came in and it wasn't very good, but yeah, David club done a, done a really good job. Also. What I found out is the, I guess the best coach in Duke uh, history on the football team is named Bill Murray. So there you go.
3: I like that note. And I will say too, like they kind of got, they kind of got screwed last year because I I mean, I don't blame them for like, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and falling for the chase Bryce. You know the love story. It looked like it was going to work yeah. out. I was a believer because he looked the part when he was at Clemson. And then he just came to Duke, and he did not look anything like he did mop up time, which is in hindsight probably not that big what, of a what, surprise. What do we talk about
0: every week, Tony?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I'm, that's going to be any of the tattoo that on my arm. Don't fall <laughs> for the small sample. And here I am typing exactly. up for international tight end.
0: Okay, so let's stick with the tight anyway, end. My, yeah. my thing with Duke, though, I, I do think that the offense that he runs at at that Cutcliffe runs there is just a little a little outdated. And I think if you could you could get back to to being a solid team, winning seven, eight games, something like that, once in a while, a nine, ten win season, maybe. Um, if you would just stop trying to, trying to like be a cool guy, offensive coordinator, and like run all these really cool pass concepts and like go empty and run quick game and they be super precise. And I think like I respect that because I love watching precise passing offenses, but, you know, like, hey, we're not winning games doing that anymore in college football. All right, so let, let's get to the tight ends. Well, yeah, I, I,
3: I will say I, I'm concerned with the quarterback situation. Gunnar Holmberg, what we've seen from him, yeah. he, he just I, – I, I don't know if it was just a fluke or what, but he barely saw the field, but he was seemingly always putting the ball in harm's way, you know, when he was on the field. And with that type of offense, it's, it's, it's looking pretty rough, that's for sure. Yes, tight ends.
0: Yes, tight ends. Here you go. Top 10 returning tight ends in college football, starting with Iowa State's Charlie Kolar.
3: Yeah, I mean, this guy's number one because he's been, you know, right there with Kyle Pitts neck and neck over the last couple of years in PFF receiving grade. I mean, he's not an inline guy, but, you know, he's done a good job working mostly out of the slot um, for Iowa State. You know, he's really good ball skills, good size. He's going to be the focal point in the offense just because the wide receiver room is not as good as what a lot of people really think. Um, and so he, he's the top guy there, but you know the number two guy. Fully expect him to be to take it over. And I know he's very near and dear to your heart.
0: Yeah, well, I understand. So number two, Eric Gilbert, University of Georgia. Uh, he is he's number one, but you can't put him number one yet just because he didn't, doesn't have the 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 resume. I think that Charlie Kohler has, but this guy right. is the real deal. I mean, there's no um there's no doubt about it i remember i tweeted after lsu's like first game against mississippi state last year like well it's it's over like put him in the nfl he doesn't need to play again in this in this sport uh so yeah he's he's tremendous and and it's part of what you're saying about georgia and on the um incredible athleticism they have at each and every position i mean he is he's you know not quite maybe not i don't want to say he's kyle pitts because you know that he was just on another level but he's he's that type of player so um yeah
3: yeah i mean yeah for that same reason why you know darnell washington like he didn't make the top 10 spot but it's also just because he doesn't have the resume yet he but i fully expect him to eventually get there because that guy also is an absolute physical freak i mean his wingspan it's absurd i mean he can haul in some off-target passes like with relative ease and Gilbert. I, I like that, you know, I like the baby Kyle Pitts nickname for him because that's what he is right now. We'll see yeah. if he actually lives up to being Kyle Pitts. Um, but you saw, you know, when he was, you know, in out split outside at receiver on those few instances, yeah. you did see that, that capability. I mean, if I recall correctly, I think it was him and Kyle Pitts were the only guys with like multiple explosive uh, receiving plays when facing Pressman on the outside. Darnell Washington happened to be on there as well um and so i I think he eventually could get there he's number two right here couldn't put him at number one but fully expect him to claim that spot um at georgia but it will be interesting because he was talking about that they're going to use him more at receiver um i have no doubt that he's he's going to thrive there despite going up against some pretty stiff competition
0: number three Jalen watermeyer texas a&m
3: yeah and well with Texas A&M, anytime I talk to him, I kind of do get frustrated because I just wish they had a good quarterback. Because this yeah. is such a talented team yeah. for, at, at every other position. Dude, Group, they, obviously, <laughs> the offensive line too is kind of you know you need to show some improvement there. But I mean, there but is they, but they, at least
0: they return like they return right. so much players, and that's usually a good thing.
3: I, exactly, one hundred percent. I mean, with Jalen Weidermeyer, I mean you're getting a guy that's you know he's can play through contact, very physical player. Um, you know, he's he did see some more um action um split outside at receiver uh, this past season was actually more productive than he was the year before. Um, you know, so I it, it just keeps going back to it, you know, what are they going to do at quarterback? It's going to be hard for them to master that offense there. Um, and you have playmakers, you know, like Jalen watermeyer and Smith who yeah. is a d- dynamic weapon, you know, Devin Chain, Isaiah Spiller. Um, The defense, too, is just absolutely loaded as well. DeMarvin Lee, one of my favorite players, regardless of position. Um, And so I feel bad for Aggie fans, but Jalen Watermeyer, top three tight end in college football.
0: All right, number four, Isaiah Likely from our Coastal Carolina Chanticleers.
3: This is my guy. This is my guy. I mean, he, so you look at the data and you're like, damn, this guy absolutely dominated. You're like, well, he kind of did play some, you know, cupcake competition sometimes, sure. But then also you have, you look into his, you know, his background. He played, you know, down the stretch with a lower body injury. They ended up having to have surgery on right after the season. Um, Knocked him out for a few months there. Um, He had a 95.0 receiving grade over his last five games, went 11 of 14 on contested opportunities. Um, You know, he he is, you know, I would say the best, clear-cut best group of five tight end. Um, I'm excited to see what he does this upcoming season. Obviously that, you know, having that kind of offense he's in does help his production a little bit, but he can win on his own. Um, And I think, you know, i don't think he need people need to be falling for the you know he he's not the reason for his success it's the offense type of
0: trick um he, he's the real deal number five Brant quayth utah
3: yeah um yeah brent keith he, he's he's a different tight end you know this is the type of tight end i struggled with ranking just because he's not really a tight end i hate calling him a tight end he's six foot two 230 pounds um and he's just you know not very good ball skills but he's just schemed up targets underneath um, and he can win. He wins after the catch, you know, that, that's exactly how he wins. I and mean, he's broken 16 tackles and 59 receptions over the last couple of seasons, averaging over seven yards after the catch. Um, he does have speed, you know, challenges seems there. But, um, you know, he, he is going to be very productive because of that. You know, the, as long as they can just scheme getting the ball in his hands, he's going to do the work himself from there. Um, and, you know, he, he's made the most of his opportunities with an 86.7 receiving grade um, over the last few seasons. So that's why he's there. at Number five.
0: Number six, Trey McBride, Colorado State.
3: Yeah, he's probably, you know, I would would say that the number two behind Isaiah likely, Um, you know, even though there are only two spots here, I think there is still a pretty considerable gap. Um, But he's a good all-around tight end up until this point. There's not a whole lot of good blocking and receiving tight ends. Trey McBride, he is one of those guys. Um, You know, he did put up exceptional um, production. Um, You know, there was only four games played at Colorado State this, this past season, but he was a focal point. Um, you know, 90.8 receiving grade, um, and, you know, with him there too. And Dante, right. I mean, that guy, I'm bringing in a wide receiver right now, but I was writing up Colorado state a few days ago. That guy is an after the catch, just elect electric guy to watch. Um, and so, you know, some good things happening there at Colorado state.
0: Number seven, Greg Dulcich, UCLA.
3: Yeah. Uh, this guy went from being a walk on just a few years ago. Um, I remember that game he broke out, um, I can't remember what week it was or who it was against, but I just remember having an absolute monster game. Um, And he does have really fantastic speed, even despite, you know, packing on a bunch of weight there, too. Um, You know, he just absolutely racked up production on vertical routes. um, And that's the type of weapon he is. And that's what UCLA needs because Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, we've been very critical about his passing ability in the past. And he's just kind of, you know, he's, I think he's in that, you know, that Jaden Daniels camp um, and Bo Nix camp where some people just look at the recruiting background and the athleticism and they say, this guy has to work out. There's no way that he can't, um, you know, but he just really hasn't, you know, performed up to par, um, up to expectations as a passer. But people like Greg Dulcich um, kind of can help him out there. Um, I think Kyle uh, Phillips, too, the slot receiver, helps him. I mean, he's in a good ecosystem there. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of the the divider between, you know, you look at the betting markets and our projected win totals at UCLA um, and you see there's a pretty stark difference between the two. We're a lot less lower on them because of Dorian Thompson's uh, Thompson Robinson's passing ability. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the, one of the big dividers there, um, too. but also Mike Martinez didn't put him on here just because we don't really have a lot of production on. He's not a receiving guy, but that guy made bruce feldman's freaks list he has the most absurd hands i've ever seen it looks like andre the giant um he's a very you know good blocker there so they had probably the best tight end tandem well second best now um, in college football
0: number eight austin stoner oklahoma
3: uh yeah i mean he's it was interesting just because last season you know he had an injury he ended up getting a staph infection he lost so much of weight and made a return for a little bit there towards the end but when he was on the field, an 87.3 receiving grade, one of the most productive guys too. Um, you know he had picked up a 15-plus yard gain on over 32 percent of his targets, which is an absurd rate for a tight end. Also, too at the same time it, that the offense helped him get him there. That's Lincoln Riley right there. That's why Lincoln Riley is one of the three best coaches in college football because that he's good at that. Um, but he did do it himself on multiple occasions, um, and so makes tops in there at number eight.
0: Number nine, James Mitchell, Virginia Tech.
3: Yeah, he's been kind of a boomer bust player. Um, You know, like the big playability is what landed him here. Um, You know, I mentioned just a minute ago with Austin Togner, over 32% of his targets, 15-plus yard gain. James Mitchell, one uh, percentage point behind him there at 31%. I mean, he's been a good, you know, after-the-catch guy too. 10.7 yards after the catch per reception over the last couple of seasons, um, over a yard and a half higher than anyone else in the position over the last couple of years. Um, And and so, you know, it's going to be – you know, it, it was a little bit more consistent from him this past season, um, just because they moved him more from you know lining him up pretty much solely in the slot to more of an inline guy too, splitting reps there. Um, but, you know, James Mitchell. I mean, Virginia Tech has a pretty good receiving unit there in place. Um, I, I'm excited to. Keep, I'm keeping an eye on Virginia Tech just because they do have some guys there, Trey Turner too, um, uh, Jermaine Waller, the cornerback who had a injury plagued last season, but 2019 opposite Caleb Farley. One of the best cornerbacks in college football. Very productive. They have some interesting pieces there. I don't think they're going to make significant noise in the ACC, but I think that's just more of a team that I like to see. That they don't like to watch just because there's certain talented players at specific positions, even though they're probably not going to be you know, anything special at the end of the day.
0: Last but not least, number 10, Jake Ferguson, University of Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, you know, he's, he's interesting just because, you know, after that true freshman season in 2018, he looked like he was going to be someone like a charlie Kohler right he was eventually going to make his way into being maybe the top tight end in college football he had incredible production that year receiving grade above 80.0 um redshirt freshman season that was and but he just really never been able to sustain that but still at the end of the day he's been pretty productive he's been a good tight end over the last few seasons just hasn't quite been the guy we thought we'd be he would you know end up becoming um but still cracked the top ten spot there for wisconsin
0: all right. Well, there you have it, folks. The top ten returning tight ends in college football, and our, our thoughts on on the the, the college football season like that's that. about to happen via the college football uh, I, guide. Yes,
3: and I will I will say too, Michael Mayer, Notre Dame. He's one to keep an eye yeah, on too. I, I, I,
0: yeah, that's my guy. I think who's going to he'll be on the top ten of this list next year.
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that guy, oh, they fed him crossers and he just made the most of them, right? You know, after the catch there. He's, he's one, uh, Kate Otten of Washington, too. Um, Peyton Hendershot of Indiana. He was great back in 2019, fell off a cliff in 2020, could possibly come back there. Those three guys, um, as well as, well as Marshawn Ford of Louisville, who's kind of in that Grant Keith camp. He's not really a tight end, um, but, you know, he's labeled tight end. So we had Gulden somewhere. So those are just some of the other names to keep an eye on. All
0: right. Well, there you have it. Tight ends in college football. All right, thanks a lot, Tony. All right, so there you have it. That's the uh, PFF College Football Podcast with an interview with Brandon Staley, head coach of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. I always pause before I'm about to say Los Angeles Chargers because my brain wants to say the San Diego Chargers, but they are the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, stay tuned next week. We have a very interesting discussion coming on recruiting like recruiting data recruiting analytics so i think you guys will like that and uh yeah see you guys next week